am so excited about um, talking tonight. We're going to talk about Ruth. Ruth is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I'm telling you what, I love reading the Bible. When I was a little girl, um, my mother would tell us Bible stories, um, you know, all throughout the day and, uh, and especially at night. But we had this encyclopedia of the Bible. Anybody remember when you had to have an encyclopedia? Like pre-Google? You know what I'm talking about? And um, my parents had, we had like the regular encyclopedia, but they bought like an encyclopedia of the Bible. And I can remember as a little girl reading every single volume and getting it down and getting so excited about all of the details about who God is and his story. And and this is what I want to encourage you with. It doesn't matter if you have just started studying the Bible or if you've studied it for 30 years. There's always more. There's always more because we serve an eternal God. And one of the things I love about preaching through the characters of the Bible is that it encourages me not to stretch for something more, but just to read and discover something more. Because there's always something new that speaks to my heart. And so that's what I'm hoping for you tonight, is that even if you're familiar with this story, that you'll hear something new that will give you a new insight into who God is. Because every one of these stories has a purpose, and it's to tell us a little bit more about who God is and how he feels about us. Um, Can we just pray again just for a moment? While we pray, I I want us to pray for a... a, um, a kid who just got really, really injured this last week. I just got a text message from somebody. Um, he's about to turn 18. He was going to ship off to the Marines. And he was in a very, very bad motorcycle accident. And right now it's in ICU at University Health and is really fighting for his life. So can we just pray that God will intervene on his behalf? Father God, you know the needs um, that are in the house. You know the needs that are in this kid's life. Lord, you know every bone, every fracture, what's going on with his brain. Lord, you know every single need. And right now, Father, I pray that you would send your healing into that room, that he would supernaturally begin to recover in such an incredible way. Lord, send the right people into this family's path. Allow them to run into the right surgeons and the right people who will help him to recover on his way. And we thank you that we can trust you. We can trust you to heal and we can trust you to speak to us. And so we ask you to do both tonight in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Well, the book of Ruth is a very short book. In fact, it's four chapters. And I encourage you tonight, when you go home, just go home and read it. It's really short. It'll take you about 10 minutes, um, 15 at the most, to read through the book of Ruth. And it's a great story. It's a love story. It's an adventure story. Um, It's a history story. It's a very, very interesting story. But first, let's talk about, before we start talking about the story, let's talk about when this is. This is just a few generations after Joshua has conquered the land of Canaan. So we are in the time of the judges. We're in the time where Israel is ruled not by a king, but by a series of judges who give, as you would guess, good judgments to the people. And so this is a story that is set within that 
time. And in fact, a lot of people see this as a story that is a bridge between the time of Judges and the time of the kings. And it's set in the land of Moab and in the land of Israel. And I brought a handy-dandy map. This is the first time we have ever thrown a Bible map up on this screen. But there's the land of Moab over there, M-O-A-B, right there. And then you're going to see in the story, and we'll pull it back up again, but there over there is Bethlehem. So that's what you need to know. So Dead Sea right there, Moab, Bethlehem, Reuben, and all of that. This is all the land of Israel, but then you have the land of the kingdom, actually, of Moab. And there's something you need to understand about Moab, is that Moabites and Israelites were not, like, super friendly, okay? They were not super friendly. In fact, the Moabites had not helped the Israelites as they had come through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And so the law said that a descendant of a Moabite could not become an Israelite for 10 generations. That's pretty severe, right? So it didn't matter what their circumstance, they were not supposed to ever become a Israelite for 10 generations. And so this is where the story begins. There was a great famine in Israel. And so a woman, an Israelite named Naomi and her husband fled to the land of Moab. The land of Moab was where the food was. The land of Moab was where the opportunity was. And so they fled to Moab. And while they were there, they had two sons. They had two sons and then Naomi's husband died. Well, after Naomi's husband died, um, the two sons, who we think were probably twins, and because of their names were probably born sickly at birth, they married some Moabite women because that's where they lived, and that's what they were surrounded by. Now, what we probably can deduce from this is that these were not women of high, high birth because they married a foreigner. And, you know, back then, marriages were usually arranged by families, and they were done to consolidate power. So um, you don't normally marry off into a foreign family that may not own a whole lot, may not have a whole lot of land, may not even be able to be in the land after a while, you know, because if the Israelites and the Moabites are fighting, they might kick all the Israelites out, whatever. So they're probably not women of really, really high birth, but he marries, they marry into this family, and they, they marry Ruth and Orpha, Ruth and Orpha. And, um, and these women, and they're married to these men, and then they die. Okay, so now we have three widows. Now, in biblical times, being a widow is a big deal because it's a patriarchal society, so land's owned by men, right? Property is descendant through men, um, opportunities for jobs mostly come from land. So if you don't have a husband, you're in trouble. You're on the mercy of the society. And so after her two sons had died and the famine in Israel had, had stopped and now there is once again plenty in the land of Israel, Naomi says, you know what? It's time for me to go home. She says, I'm going home. And so Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpha, they, Ruth and Orpha, they, they start going at home. 
And they're, they're starting out on this trek, and it's about 30 miles around. You can see the, the little map. It's about 30 miles around from Moab to Bethlehem, but it was going to take them about 7 to 10 days. And so what the Bible tells us is somewhere along in that first day, Naomi stops, and she says, look, I'm going back to Israel a widow with nothing. I don't have anything for you. I can't give you anything. Even if I was to give birth to a son right now, you would be really old by the time that would work out. So this is what I think you should do, girls. You should go back to your own families. Because, see, Naomi had been a woman who was a foreigner in another land. And she said this. She said, I don't want that for you. I know how hard that is. I know how difficult it is to fit in somewhere new. I know how I've been here for years, and yet I still want to go home. I don't want that for you girls. And so they say, no, no. They both protest. Naomi says, no, I want you to go home. So Orpah, she says, okay. She turns around and she leaves. But the Bible says that Ruth clings to Naomi. She clings to Naomi. She will not let her go. And then we get, then we get this passage of scripture that is used in more weddings than you can count, but actually was spoken between two women in friendship. That's how important friendship really is. We can underestimate how important friendship is, but, but this is what it says. It says this, Ruth 1, 16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. This isn't till death till we part. This is, we're not being separated even by death. This is extreme. This is her saying, absolutely not. I am not going to leave you. And the Bible tells us this. The Bible says that Naomi gave up because she realized that there was no point in protesting anymore. That there was absolutely no point. You know, Pastor Clarissa preaches about this when she talks about friendship. That sometimes when we're in the winter seasons of our life, that when we're in the difficult seasons of our life, we need a Ruth to cling to us and not let us go. We may think we want to be left alone, but we need some annoying people in our lives who are willing to say, no, you have something I need. Because the thing is, is Ruth was clinging to Naomi because she knew when she went back, there would be no one to provide for her. But she also knew that Naomi was her only ticket into the land of Israel. See, as a Moabite, she didn't have a way in. There was no way she could just waltz in and find a place among the people of Israel. And she said, but I want what you have. I want your God to be my God. See, the God of the Moabites was a cruel God. 
The God of the Moabites was a God that demanded child sacrifice. The God of the Moabites was a God that she probably had figured out was very different than this Jehovah who had delivered his people from slavery. This Jehovah who had provided for people in the wilderness. This Jehovah. And she had heard these stories. And even though she did not have a son, she said, I'm not going to let my circumstance prevent me from this opportunity. I will cling to you and I will hold on to you and we will go back to Israel together. And so Naomi and and Ruth start to go back together, but once they arrive back in Bethlehem, they have nothing. They have nothing. And in fact, the years have taken such a toll on Naomi's life that she sees her new friends, her old friends, and they say, Naomi, what happened to you? You left here so full of life. You left here so okay. I mean, you you left here with a husband. You left here young, and and you're coming back with nothing. And she says, you're right. So change my name. Change my name. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. She's in this moment where she's probably embarrassed, hurt, devastated, and has nothing. But she has her Ruth. She has her Ruth. And so Ruth says to her one day, she says, let me go and gather barley because it's the barley season. This is what's so interesting to me. You know, Naomi could have chosen to go back at any time. She could have chosen to go back at any time. She went back at harvest time. She went back at harvest time. Now, I don't know if she knew that it was harvest time, if she was planning that it was harvest time, but sometimes God will move you into a place and in a timing that you just don't even understand. How is it possible that I am walking back into what I think is going to be my greatest embarrassment, my greatest defeat, but what I'm really walking into is harvest time. What I'm really walking into is an opportunity that's going to change my fortune forever. I had accepted that I was going to be a widow forever, that no one would ever care for me, that I would be alone. But God sent a Ruth that would help me to take advantage of my harvest. And so Ruth says, Naomi, I, I know enough of your customs to know that God provided a way for even those who didn't have anything to have something. I love that about our God. You know, if you don't think that our God cares about the poor, then then you've you've missed the entire book. The entire book. People talk about the judgment that he brought on Israel. Do you know that in the book of Micah it says, I brought judgment on you because of the way you treated the poor and the foreigner in your land? That's, That's what the Bible says. And so the Bible had provided a place for, for the poor to be able to get what they needed. And so he said, look, I want you to, he told them in, in, in the book of Leviticus, he said, look, you're going to go and you're going to um, harvest your field once, okay? But you don't get to go back and pick up what you dropped. So you don't get to, to pinch the penny. You've got to leave your leftover for those who don't have. 
And, and Ruth somehow knew this. And so she asked Naomi, she said, is it okay with you if I go into the fields and I glean for us? Naomi said, okay, you can go. You can do this. I think it's interesting that Naomi doesn't go. She's too brokenhearted. She's bitter. She's bitter. And that's why we need to be in a community, because even when you're bitter, there's somebody who can get what you need for you. That's why we have to stay in community. And so she goes to the harvest field, and she begins to glean. And, and this is one of the things that I love. Is she, it, the Bible says she found herself in Boaz field. She found herself in Boaz field, and then the perspective all of a sudden shifts. The Bible just written so beautifully. Like we've heard everything kind of from, from Ruth's perspective. And then all of a sudden she walks into Boaz's field and it's not about Ruth's perspective anymore. It's all about what Boaz is saying. Boaz sees her and he, he notices that she's alone. Maybe she looks different. And uh, he begins to ask the men, who is she with? And they say, she's alone. She came here with Naomi. She's a foreigner. But she works really hard. That's what they said about her. They said she has been out in the field all day, and she's only taken one rest in the shelter. And this somehow impresses Boaz, and he calls for her, and he says, look, he says, this is what I want you to do. He says, I, I want you to, to stay with, with my women the women from my house, and I want you to glean with them um, because I want you to be protected. And I have let all of the men know that they are to leave you alone and that you're going to be taken care of. Here she is. All she's doing is just trying to provide for herself and Naomi. She walks into a field. We know Naomi didn't tell her which field to go to. But the same God who made sure that she came back during harvest time is the same God that made sure that she walked into a field where she wouldn't just be provided for, but that she would be protected to. So she's in the field. She's in Boaz's field, and he offers her protection, and he offers her a place among the women of his own house to be treated as a servant. And this is what he says, Ruth 2 11, he says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And when I read this, it's such a prophecy. It's such a prophecy. It's a blessing, but it's a prophecy. It says, look, I see you, I hear you, I know what you've given up, I know how tough this is, I know that you weren't expecting any kind of easy road, but I am telling you that the God that you chose, the God that you chose to honor, he is going to bless you in such a rich and such a powerful way. And he doesn't even know the end of the story yet. Ruth's response is so beautiful 
It's not entitled. It's incredibly grateful. She responds with absolutely complete humility. She says, why would you be so kind to me? Why would you be so kind to me, a foreigner? And then after he explains why, she honors him. And she says in chapter 2, verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not even have the standing of one of your servants. She didn't even aspire to be a servant in this man's house. She didn't even take the position that he had elevated her to. She walked in complete humility. So it's, it's no surprise. Boaz invites her to, like, the, the dinner after the, you know, whole thing. He's like, this, this girl's great. Like, she's awesome. <laughs> Let's just invite her to dinner, okay, with all of the people. And, you know, he gives her some roasted grain, and, 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 and he gives her so much favor. He tells, he tells his workers, he's like, take some stuff out of the bundles and give it to her. You know, take, take some of the stuff that isn't even gleaning. Give her the good stuff. Make sure that she has more than enough. And so she goes home, and she's got roasted grain, and she's got stuff that's like the good stuff. She's probably weighed down, and she walks into Naomi's house, and Naomi says, where have you been? Whose field have you been in? Ruth says, I'm... I went into a field of a man named Boaz, and he showed me kindness. And all of a sudden, there's a little spark that comes into Naomi's mind, and she starts to remember the promise of God in her life. She starts to remember that, see, God had already put provision for her before she ever came back. She starts to have just a little bit of hope, and she says, oh, wait a minute, that man He's one of our kinsmen redeemers. She can't bear to hope yet. Not yet. So she says this. She says, you'll be safe there. You'll be safe there. You know, sometimes we don't need to despise the day of small beginnings because there is a day where just being safe in God's presence is just enough, where we don't even aspire to the abundant life. We just aspire to having life at all. And you know what? It's okay. If you stay there long enough, well, let's just get back to the rest of the story. So Ruth stays close to Boaz's women. He stays cl- she stays close to Boaz's women. She doesn't presume, doesn't even say that they have any more interactions. We don't even know. Isn't that kind of great? We don't know. We can imagine, but we don't know. Like, we can imagine, like, he's looking out over the field, like, peeking to see if she's there every day, you know. But we don't know. It's not in the Bible. We can just guess. But he stayed close to Moaz's women. She didn't presume until the end of the harvest, until the new season. And so then Naomi says, look, we've entered a new season, and so it's time to take some new risks. We've entered a new season. It's time to take some new risks. It's time to be vulnerable. See, before we were just happy to be safe. Before we were happy just to be okay. 
Before we were grateful just to be protected. Before we were grateful just to have enough. Before we were grateful, but now it's time to step out. Put ourselves in a place of faith. Put ourselves in a place of trust. Put ourselves in a place of vulnerability. And so what happens is Naomi has this plan, you know, because she's the wise older woman. Ruth's the naive girl. Naomi, she knows what she's doing. And so she says, look, this is what we're going to do. And this is in the Bible. Okay. So she says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to wait until after the party. They're going to have a threshing floor party kind of thing. And then after the party, everybody's going to be sleeping on the floor. And you're going to go find him in the night. And you're going to go lay down by his feet. And... um, that's that. And so Ruth agrees to do exactly as Naomi says. Now, there's nothing untoward here, nothing, you know, scandalous, but it is a little bit because, I mean, you know, Boaz says, like, after he wakes up, he's like, what are you doing here? You know, he's very surprised. He's shocked. It's like, why are you? And she says, will you spread your cloak over me and be my protector, basically, and will you be our kinsman redeemer? She says, will you be our kinsman redeemer? Will you be the one who redeems us? That's basically what she says, I'm saying, in, in essence, okay? But she proposes to him, Corda. Um, not completely, but kind of. And, and this is what's so neat about his response. I, I had never seen this until I was reading it today, and I went, what? That's so interesting. He is flattered by this. And he says, let me see if I, I put it down here. I don't have the exact wording. I wish I did because it's just absolutely beautiful. But he's flattered by this because he's not young. And we know he's not young because he says, how, he says, you refuse to run after the young men. That's what he says. He says, he says, you are blessed because you didn't run after what was new And what appealed to the eye and to the young men and to some man who would just be willing to, you know, take care of you. You you somehow, you made a different kind of choice. And he says, look, I am going to sort this out today. (laughs) Because there's somebody else who has a right to you. Who has a right to redeem you and to marry you. And to do right by you. There's somebody else who's in front of me. But we're going to sort this out today. And then he tells her, he's like, but get up really quiet and, like, sneak out because we're not supposed to have women here. And that just makes me laugh so hard. I just, I just think that's great. If you don't think that's funny, you should read it again because it's really funny. And so he sends her back with barley for Naomi because he says, don't go back empty-handed. He says, you know, this was kind of an interesting conversation, but don't go back empty-handed. And then Boaz goes the next morning, the Bible says early in the morning, the next morning, he is sitting at the gate looking for the guy who has no name, by the way, okay, in the Bible. He's literally, he's, it says friend, it's translated that way, but, but, the, but the actual, um, uh, I guess it's Hebrew, is uh, so-and-so. Isn't that great? So he's like the guy with no name. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic, especially in the context of the story. And I'm going to tell you why in just a second. And you're going to get a kick out of it. But anyway, so so-and-so comes up. And, he, and, and Boaz is just so smooth. He says, hey, man, 
did you notice that Naomi and Naomi's back in town? I understand that you're, um, you're her kinsman redeemer, and uh, you have the right to buy her land back. And the guy goes, oh, absolutely, I'm going to do that. He says, okay, he goes, that's fine. He goes, there, there's a Moabite woman that comes with it named Ruth. And the Bible says that he says, I can't do it because that would put my own inheritance, my own name in jeopardy. He had an opportunity. He had an opportunity, but he was trying to protect his name. See, honor required that he be her kinsman redeemer. Honor required it. It said, you step up and you be the kinsman redeemer for this family. You make sure. See, a kinsman redeemer, if you go back to Leviticus um, chapter 25, was the way that they continued family lines. So if you had a brother who had a wife and, and the brother died before the wife had a son, then the brother would marry the other brother's wife. Is this getting confusing yet? Okay. And, and would bear a son for the brother who died so that his name would not be forgotten. Okay. So that's what a kinsman redeemer was. It was so that you could keep land in the family. There's all kinds of other economic reasons for it. But basically it provided surety and security to widows. It was a way of protecting the most vulnerable in society. And this guy, he was fine with buying the land back, but when he found out that he had to step up and had to take care of the name of this person who was dead and had to take care of his wife, he said, no, not me. I'm out. I want to preserve my name. And for all of history, he's known as so-and-so. So Boaz then obtains the right to redeem both the land and Ruth. And the elders at the gate bless Ruth. And this is what they say in chapter 3, verse 11. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. And this is what is so amazing about this analogy is Perez was famous. He was absolutely famous. He was the son of Judah. But they say whom Tamar bore to Judah. Because see, Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. I know the Bible is crazy. Tamar was Judah's daughter-in-law. And Judah refused to give her a kinsman redeemer. And she tricked him into becoming her kinsman redeemer and giving her children. And that is one of the line- that's one of the, the spots along the lineage of Christ. Okay? So it's amazing because they're basically saying, look, may you be as blessed as that woman, that woman who didn't give up hope, that woman who came and made sure that the promise of God came true in her life regardless of who wanted to do right by her. Such a beautiful, incredible blessing. And so Ruth becomes pregnant 
And she gives Naomi a son. They name him Obed. And guess what? He becomes the grandfather of King David in the lineage of Jesus. What an incredible story. What a beautiful picture. How incredible is this? And, and you know, we can learn some lessons from the book of Ruth. We, we can learn about honor. She honored Naomi with her words, with her walk, with her work, with everything. Because, see, she was supposed to take care of Naomi as her daughter-in-law. She was supposed to. But she had no idea when she went into the land of Israel whether anybody else would do what they were supposed to do. She honored not knowing if there would be any reward. In fact, we kind of have an indication that she thinks she's going to be a widow and have to care for Naomi till the end of her life. Because that's what she says, doesn't she? Wherever you die, I'm just going to die. Because I'm never going to part from you. We're never going to be apart. She honored. She continued to honor. She refused to be left behind. She honored, um, she honored Boaz and, and everything that he told her. And then she walked in humility. She walked in humility. She was willing to work and work hard. Boaz inquired of her, talked about her, and, and she responded with humility every single time. And then she had hope. Man, she had incredible hope. And because she was honored, she was honored. Because she was humble, she was exalted. Because she was honest, she received good counsel. Because she was hopeful, she received happiness. But see, this is the thing that's so incredibly important, is the book of Ruth isn't about Ruth. The book of Ruth is about David. People believe that the book of Ruth was written as a way of justifying David's right to the throne. Because do you remember what I said at the beginning? Descendants of Moabites couldn't be Israelites to the 10th generation. And two generations later, not only is David an Israelite, David is the king of all of Israel. What in the law could not happen, God made happen. See, it was not about her. It was a reminder to all of us that God is merciful and God is faithful. And the reason the Moabites were excluded is because they wouldn't help the Israelites. Her ancestors had refused to help, and yet she chose to do the right thing, and she exempted herself from the curse that was on her family. She made herself eligible for being able to be in the lineage of David. And if we remember right, David course is in the lineage of Jesus. What an incredible picture. But isn't that a picture of what happens when the stone that the builder rejected becomes the cornerstone of it all? The stone that the builder rejected became the cornerstone. Ruth was excluded by law, but by grace, through faith, she became a part of God's eternal story. 
Ruth was excluded by law. She wasn't supposed to have any part in the covenant. She wasn't supposed to be able to be an Israelite. She wasn't supposed to be able to stand with the congregation. And yet, through the grace of God, the grace of God allowed her to be in a position for her to come into a season when she would be able to provide for her family, to walk into a field where she would find protection and finally to have wisdom and to have insight on how to make sure that she got hers, that she had her promise, that what God had already provided for would happen in her life. And this is what I know, is that this is more than just proving David should have been okay to be the king of Israel. It was more than just the reasons that the original authors wrote it. I believe that God put this in here to remind us that even though we were excluded by the law by grace through faith we have a place in God's eternal story see Boaz did what the unnamed redeemer would not and Jesus did what the law would not the law had first claim on you but the law would not justify you. And Jesus said, I will, I will. I'll put my name on her. I'll put my name on him. I'll be the redeemer. I'll stand in the gap. I don't care what the law says. My grace can cover it. My grace can take over it. Where the law would not bend, Jesus was willing to be broken. Where the law would not bend, Jesus was willing to be broken. But it wasn't about Ruth, and it won't be about us. It'll be about the legacy that God wants to get through us. It'll be about the legacy that God wants to get through us, through our lives, through our sacrifice, through our choosing to just simply be honorable to honor his word, to say, you know what, God, this is the way you said to live. I'm going to live this way, not because it feels good or because it works or because it might result in me having a better life or a bigger bank account or any of those things. I am going to live this way because I am going to honor you. And I'm going to stay humble. I'm going to stay humble because you said that you exalt the humble. You said that that's the posture that you took on this earth, that you were humble, even to humble to death on the cross. And I want to be just like you. And I want to be like Ruth. I want to be humble. I'm going to walk humbly, knowing that even though I don't even aspire to be a servant, that I actually am standing as a daughter. And I'm going to be hopeful. You know, I don't know what your circumstance is right now. I don't know if you're in harvest season or if that season is kind of changing for you. And all of a sudden, it's time to be a little bit more vulnerable. It's time to step out in faith a little bit. It's time to get out of the boat. 
It's time to kind of do some things that feel uncomfortable. It's time to trust the people in your life who you know are speaking God's truth and telling you to move out. Come on, you need to take some risk. Come on, you need to start serving. Come on, you need to start leading. Come on, you need to do more. There's more in you. I know that the Holy Spirit put... You need to start listening to those voices. I don't know what your circumstance is. I don't know if you're in that harvest season. I don't know if you're in that choosing season. I don't know if you're, if you're, if you're deciding whether to step out. But I know this. I know that if we don't understand that it is only by grace that we even have a chance to stand. And if we don't realize that if we'll just get up and be willing to walk, that God will guide us. He'll guide us into the right season. He'll guide us into the right field. He'll guide us into the right action. He'll guide us every step of the way. Will you stand with me? We're just going to pray. Would you just bow your heads just for a second? You know, the story of Naomi is so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. It's so beautiful. so beautiful because she has a Ruth. You know, Naomi's life would have ended up much differently if she hadn't had a Ruth. And I don't know if you're in a season where you're a little bit like Naomi and you're just bitter and you're just, you're dealing with, but I want you to know that God has put you in a community where there are a lot of Ruths who need you and you need them. And I don't know if you're Standing here and you go, Destiny, that really, that really touches my heart because I, I, I know that, that, that God has chosen me and that, that I am redeemed and, and all of those things. But I haven't been walking with honor. I, I've been looking for the easy way out. Or maybe you haven't been walking humbly. You just kind of look at this thing and go, I deserve more. Or maybe you've just kind of lost hope. I don't know where you are, but I know this, there's a kinsman redeemer who died 2,000 years ago so that you could spend all eternity with him, so that you could be not just protected, but so that you could be a daughter in the house, so you could go from not having a family to having a family, from having lost everything to being a part of the story. You know, Ruth is one of one of the only people in the Bible. There are a few others, but she's one of this this select small few that got their name on a book. They got their name on a book. Her story stands alone. And I think it stands alone for such an important reason because because it speaks to us in every season of our life. In every season of our life, you don't have to be afraid. God's provision is already there. It's already waiting for you. You think you're walking into a difficult season, but God's provision is waiting for you. You think you're walking into embarrassment and ruin, but God's provision is waiting for you. He didn't have you leave what you had for no reason. He had you let go 
of a nameless existence to walk into an existence where your name would be known. Not because of anything that you've done, but because of his grace. Because that's what Ruth's story is. You can't read it and just get excited about Ruth. You read it and you get so excited.